0: It's just after midnight, Monday, May 2nd, 2022. You are listening to another edition of the Midnight Ride podcast with Connor Coughlin and Paul Runyon. Paul, how was your your Arbor Day, your May Day? How have you been?
1: Connor, stop hitting on me. (laughs) This kind of flirting. (laughs) (laughs) I understand that you have, you know, certain feelings. I am a
0: conservative, so you know, my obsession with your with your happiness might have something to do with
1: uh Me wanting to sleep with you, I suppose. This always happens to me. Every time I'm, you know, that's just asking how I am. Is just code for flirting. You and I both know this. But let's get into the week. Inflation is really taking a bite, you know. And my week was pretty bad. I got asked to attend a dinner where pasta cost three thousand dollars.
0: Which candidate was uh, trying to? line
1: their campaign coffers this time. Well, it wasn't Nancy Pelosi because that would have been $3,000 ice cream. Mm-hmm. But it was, there's a, a big uh, race happening in South Florida, Formula One. And there's this restaurant called Carbone that's doing a special event for the race. And they're charging $3,000 a person for dinner. And it's, it's I kid you not, it is, it's veal Parmesan. That's it. Wow. So is that- Inflation, I don't know. And the other piece of inflation that I saw is this head of of Twitter, the censorship board. She's getting uh, paid seventeen million dollars a year for censoring. Maybe I should become a a censor. We'll get to her
0: in just a second. But for our listeners, you know,
1: another example. I mean,
0: Paul Runyon, Formula One fan. Connor Coughlin, NASCAR fan. So you could see that. Who says that the Conservative side of politics. It's not. It's not a big tent. You know, we've got you know people from all parts of the strata. But but what Paul was alluding to there at the beginning of obviously was you know uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and her tweet about conservatives wanting to sleep with her, and of course she was owned by Elon Musk on Friday uh, because she tried to make a little slap at him about I wish these billionaires who uh, you know. Have all this money laying around, w- wouldn't just go out and buy their own social media networks. Clearly, aimed at Elon. To, and his response was, you Stop flirting with me. I'm shy. It was the own of the week on Twitter. He doesn't even have control of it yet, but he really uh, kind of sent shockwaves of humor
1: through the platform. Anybody that tries to own Elon Musk on Twitter does so at their own peril. If you remember, he's like, first of all, he's like the world's smartest human being. He's also the world's wittiest human being. And it takes him literally about two seconds to come up with a response. So it literally does not matter what anybody says to him. He will own you within five seconds,
0: period. If you're AOC and and you're the people who are advising you on what tweets to write are like, you know, former writers at SNL and failed staffers of the Elizabeth Warren campaign, the weak stuff that you're throwing at him is going to get shot down in a glorious fashion. That's exactly what happened, but it wasn't just AOC all week. We had, I mean, we had people releasing, there are a few conservatives, very small number inside Twitter, and they, they were releasing Slack posts, internal posts of these people just losing their shit. I mean, crying saying, Oh my God, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do with Elon Musk coming here. And it's a great thing to see all these people because, I mean, for year, for a few years now, they have been shadow banning people, censoring posts, and now they basically say, I don't know what I'm going to do if I'm not going to be allowed to do that. But then the thing that Paul just touched on, the government, the federal government, which was fine with everything on the internet until this week on Thursday, I think they announced, That the Department of Homeland Security has stood up the Disinformation Governance Board, the DGB, as it were, that this is a law enforcement organization, we should point out, under the Department of Homeland Security, whose job it is going to be to be the arbiter of what is disinformation and what isn't. Are we
1: still in America, Paul? Well, it's interesting. What's even more alarming is that this was not even announced i'm not even sure if it was going to be announced publicly it came up during a house appropriations subcommittee hearing uh, for the 2023 budget for department of homeland security and lauren underwood a democratic representative who is african-american asked Mayorcas, secretary Mayorcas, what he was going to do to combat misinformation campaigns aimed at people who aren't white now That could very well be the uh, plant question. It sounds like it was. It sounds like it was a plant question, because there's no official announcement from DHS, nothing at all specific. And that's when he revealed that this committee was going to happen. And they actually do use the word in the description of the board, police, to police this kind of misinformation. And they're working with Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Protection Agency at DHS. So this is very, very chilling and harkens back to another period uh, in the pre-World War II era, potentially with some of our our enemies, Italy and Germany, comes right out of that playbook. Very scary.
0: Oh, it absolutely does. I I know you're probably going to go there and give us the historical history of that, and I think we need to hear that. First, let's just touch on this idea. I mean, this has been the talking point. You know how, you know, every week around, you know, the time that the conservatives, and by the way, isn't it nice finally to see some momentum? I don't know Elon Musk's politics and he hasn't really revealed them. He did say this week that conservatives will be equally disappointed as liberals will be on in terms of if they think we're going to regulate it. I mean, he, this is really, according to him, going to be a completely free speech platform where leftists and right-wing nutjobs will be equally disappointed. But you know it is nice to see the the conservatives score some wins. You know, we had the two thousand and twenty one elections in Virginia and New Jersey and some other places, school board wins. But people are starting to wake up to some things. It is nice to see some wins. let me just let me just say though, isn't it funny how the the talking points kind of go out? There must be some sort of memo on the left, whether it's media matters or the DNC. And last week, around the time that Twitter was being purchased, you see that complete moron on The View, Sonny, and some other folks saying, this is about protecting the free speech only of white males, and the marginalized groups are going to be victims now that Elon Musk has bought Twitter. Didn't you see, you know, a cacophony of voices saying this around the same time?
1: Yeah, the whole thing to me looked pre-planned. And I don't think that, This was not, this was the whole thing was, was laid out in advance and Elon Musk, God bless him. He's a libertarian. He doesn't want the government getting involved. The reality is though, I appreciate all the changes that he's making, but, and we can talk about this on another episode, but section 230 is what really needs to get fixed because there's really nothing to keep lefties from forming their own left wing Twitter. So I don't know. I mean, this is, this is a nice fix. I think it's a good win for the conservative movement. I'm, I'm less worried about what's a win and what's not for conservatives and more what's a win and a loss for the constitution. And I think this is a win for the constitution because we finally have somebody that cares about it and is taking it seriously. And that man is named Elon Musk. And as he said, he does not have an economic interest in making this succeed as like a business model or whatever. He is going to make some changes. But the fact is, uh, it's going to be the true public town square now. And we're going to see where that leads. And this could cause a lot of the crazy lefties to just pick up their marbles and go home. And that could cause another unintended consequence. So we'll
0: see where this heads. It could. And you're absolutely right, Paul. Fasten your seatbelts. We don't know where this is headed. He will not have control for several more months. I think in the fall is when he gets it. But we, you know, we will not see things like, you know, America's oldest newspaper, the paper of record, New York Post, getting their stories memory hold right before an election. We will not see satire websites like the Babylon Bee banned for hurting people's feelings. I just want to touch on Sonny and her little point and a point that a lot of people were making that, you know, this will be about protecting the free speech rights of white males only. Here are the top 10 accounts on Twitter. Number one, most followed on Twitter, President Barack Obama. Number two, Justin Bieber. Okay, he's Canadian. Number three, Katy Perry, not a white male. Number four, someone who's very near and dear to my heart, Rihanna. Number five, the Portuguese football star, Cristiano Ronaldo, who is a brown-skinned, not American, certainly not a white male. Number six, Taylor Swift. Number seven, an African-American by the name of Elon Musk, the richest man in the world. So, yeah, we do have two white males there. Number eight, Lady Gaga. Number nine, the president of India, the prime minister of India, Narendra Modi. And number 10, Ellen DeGeneres, who is not male, nor is she, to use their term. Well, I'll just say she's not straight, right? So eight out of 10 are from marginalized groups. These are the most followed people on Twitter, who can never argue that they have been banned. And, you know,
1: this boogeyman- So maybe the disinformation governing board, their first thing should be to go after Sonny. (laughs) Don't you think? Maybe that's, I mean, it's, uh, that's where the real disinformation is coming from. Odds of that happening, lower than me winning the lottery
0: uh, on Wednesday night. But, but let me just say, this boogeyman of the white male, they've been using it for a long time. It, you know, just in, in, whispers and, and things that they say on podcasts and TV shows. But when Joe Biden took over, let's just recap. On day one, his secretary of defense called a stand down of the entire military to to train, some would say indoctrinate them, on the dangers of extremist groups, but really with a focus. And I, I have friends still in the military, and you do too. And some of them told me that they seem to paint white Male extremist groups as the real problem. The Department of Justice, the new attorney general, saying that the greatest threat to the United States was right wing extremist groups. And then you had that same Department of Justice and that same attorney general write a letter to Randy Weingarten of the National Teachers Association saying, hey, listen, if you're having problems with these parents, These, you know, parents coming to the school board meetings, I'm going to need, if you want us to intervene, I'm going to need a letter from you. And so Weingarten responds with a letter and in which she calls or they call parents who are concerned about all of the crazy things going on in our schools, girls getting raped in bathrooms by boys, all of the gender theory, CRT, they labeled these parents domestic terrorists. So our government has now officially with these three things and now the the disinformation governance board they have declared war on normal Americans but certainly white
1: males have been made the boogeyman here throughout the Biden administration. It's very obvious why they're doing this. I mean it's they have decided their their voting block is going to be non-white males and in order to keep this horrible argument going that white males are somehow an oppressor. They've got to keep their voting block in a state of crisis, of stress, of always of anger to keep them fired up. And because they don't have any real policy that's going to help the country, they have no choice but to make up these crises after crises and create these boogeymen. It's right out of the playbook from the fascist regimes of the, the 1930s. I'd like to ask our public, are we ready for a Paul Runyon history lesson? Well, I, I know I am. I mean, I, I, everybody seems to love these things. So I came across an amazing article by Jeffrey Lord. You remember him, right? He was, he was from the 2016, he was part of the Trump campaign, uh, really well-known conservative, worked for Ronald Reagan. He now writes for the American Spectator, yeah. which yeah, which is one of my favorite Favorite magazines just uh, really talks about conservatism and the constitution. I, I highly recommend it. And he had a great piece on sort of the history of this these type of boards that really sort of started in the 1930s. So I'm gonna gonna read that a piece to people, uh, at least part of it. And I think we can talk about it afterwards. I'd love to hear what you think, Connor. And maybe we can put up some sort of a something on our Twitter feed just to to get people's people's comments. But here we go. Aside from suggesting that the first place to begin combating misinformation would be with the Biden administration itself. For example, the claims that Joe had no knowledge of Hunter's business ventures. Inflation is transitory and caused by Putin. The border swarm is seasonal. The Afghanistan exit was a success. It's time to call out this government run attack on free speech exactly for what it is out and out fascism. And what he does is he he takes takes us on a history lesson from Benito Mussolini, who was the fascist leader of Italy in the 1930s and was part of the uh, Axis powers that we were fighting during World War II. Mussolini attempted to remake the Italian mind, taking a personal interest in applying the twin tools of censorship and propaganda. The unique totalitarian project of Italian fascism reposed on a careful balance that required both popular confidence and a level of fear. The ambitions of this project reached not only into government, law, and economics, but also into the minds of Italy's people, which the fascists believed they could reshape and recommit to the nation state. No such idea of adversarial journalism, of subjecting the actions of state to investigation and scrutiny, was to infect the minds of the nation's newspaper writers and editors. Rather, Mussolini contended that fascism requires militant journalism, the country's newspapers presenting themselves as, quote, a solid block committed to the cause and obscuring or outrightly burying any fact or story antithetical to it.
0: I just want to stay right there. Does that that sound familiar with our current press corps?
1: Most of the mainstream media, continue. It's exactly what it is. Even more than post factum censorship, Mussolini favored this kind of proactive steering of the press, hardly subtle and clearly defining his expectations as both military and civilian leader of the people. In fascist Italy, social and political pressures and the resultant self policing by the media were at least as important as legal prescriptions, probably much more important. Just as Mussolini's example had inspired Hitler and the young national socialist movement, the Nazis' Reich Ministry for Popular Enlightenment and Pop Propaganda, established in 1933, seems to have motivated Mussolini to adopt a newly invigorated approach to censorship. In a sense, then, the fascists were successful in creating, to borrow Orwell's phrase, a new, quote, climate of thought. And a Lord has a, a closes it out at the end, really saying plainly. Put what the Biden administration is about, with the creation of the DHS's Disinformation Governance Board, is nothing less than the American version of what in 1933 so inspired Mussolini and his fascists, the Nazi Reich Ministry for Popular Enlightenment and Propaganda.
0: Chilling, and you see that some things that you talked about in there. Certainly, the corporate or oligarch-owned media kind of working in cahoots with the Biden administration. You certainly saw it during the Obama administration. And one of the variables, and now as we we get into the disinformation governance board, one of the variables that we didn't have back then, you know, propaganda has been around for a very long time, probably since, uh, you know, the days of stone tablets. With each technological advance, you could argue that the power of the propagandist The power of the dictator becomes more supreme. The printing press, for example, radio, television, but the internet and the ubiquitous nature of information today that is in everyone's pocket, in everybody's hand, is a complete game changer. And big tech and the role of big tech has been profound. We will, maybe Elon Musk can help shed some light on this in the coming months. We will never know the full depths of how much they could do. Um, Mark Zuckerberg, for instance, did he help swing the 2020 election? Did Google, you know, in the way that some people search for information, that is a lot different from the old ways of searching for information, where you went into a library, say, and you you were searching yourself. Google is helping direct your search. So this this disinformation governance board is particularly chilling, Paul. And I actually... Did some snooping around last night, and, and I found out the names of, if, you, if you'll humor me for a second, some of these similar bodies that exist in other countries, and you tell me if we are still the shining light of, and the beacon of freedom. Russia has, a, has an organization called Roskomnadzor, which is the Federal Service, listen to the, the benign names of this, Federal Service for Supervision of Communications, Information, Technology, and Mass Media. That is their disinformation governance board. China, well, they're a little less guarded with their names. They have the Central Propaganda Department. In North Korea, it's called the Publicity and Information Department. And in Iran, it's called the Ministry of Culture and Islamic Guidance. But we're in some some special company right now with this new body, Paul.
1: We certainly are. And what is interesting about this is given the ability of our officials to say that they're still adhering to the Constitution, even though they may not, with this board, they can still say, hey, everybody can still say what they want. We're just going to advise these media outlets on what's true and what's not. And uh, if you don't take down that content, maybe mm, you might lose your access pass during press conferences. Maybe we won't talk to you. Maybe there will be some sort of punitive punishment. This is the first step. And let's remember, over the history of the United States, government never gets smaller. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger, especially when the left is in control. And in this case, how do we know that this governing board, first of all, I'd like to know who else is gonna be on the board, and I, I can't wait till we talk about the new, the new chair of this board. But what's gonna say this board doesn't become an agency within DHS, and then its own cabinet position? I mean, this is how things grow. And creep. Well, it's so. Let's let's unpack this for a second. And you mentioned the the growing
0: size of government. And uh, you know George Bush, President George George Walker Bush, our forty fourth president, great guy. I'd love to have a beer with him and and uh, maybe watch a Texas Rangers game with him. Will will not go down as one of our greatest presidents. Obviously, the strategic error to invade Iraq, devastating to the Middle East and devastating to American interests. Almost as bad as that was the creation of the Department of Homeland Security, a massive expansion of government and giving a lot of roles that were previously held by other
1: parts of government, but just the huge bureaucratic drain. And now- And held by the private sector. I mean, if you remember before 9-11, for those of you that that remember, for old folks like uh, Connor and myself, we remember- Which is, most of our audience
0: is- Although Relief Factor offered us uh, sponsorship, I said no. But most
1: of our audience is... Maybe we... Can we have Pat Boone on? Maybe. <laughs> most-, <I'd> love- <laughs> most of our audience is is in their 40s and maybe 50s. But yes, it was... No, remember, that was, there was no... You know, women were not forced to squeeze their breast milk and have a test. Yeah, before they went through the metal detectors at the airport. Yeah, exactly.
0: And And then we went from that to today where, you know, they have the random... It's like the movie Airplane where they do the random screenings. Somebody in a military uniform or, you know, a 80-year-old white lady is getting, you know, patted
1: down and and all this stuff. Whereas some, like a mullah going through with uh, wires hanging out of his robe somehow walks right through.
0: So this is one of the, uh, you know, dangers of podcasting when you have your dog in with you. But I apologize for that. But it's
1: it's true. The That's a new – why don't you introduce – you have a new puppy.
0: Yes. So my daughter, you know, had her birthday, and she had been asking me for two years, I want a dog. So finally I gave in. Um, my wife hates me. I'm sleeping on the couch right now. But the kids are happy. So we have a new dog. And so
1: – So are the kids doing the potty training?
0: Strangely, she was a rescue. And strangely, you know, even though she's only seven months old – She's pretty well potty trained. Yeah. So that's, that's a bonus.
1: That did not happen with us. I mean, we bought a puppy, King Charles Cavalier. So once again, Connor bot gets a rescue dog. (laughs) Paul gets a King Charles Cavalier pure breed to take to the Formula One race. So, (laughs) but yeah, we were doing lots and lots of, I mean, the potty training is still going on and let's just say the kid's They like to enjoy the positives of the dog, and it's Paul left to clean up the mess.
0: I told my wife, and my wife is not from the United States originally, uh, and she doesn't like dogs that much. And I said, hey, listen, every American kid, as part of their childhood, should grow up with a dog. That's just, that's one of the things that has to happen. So, you know, and I think it does a lot for their work ethic and and, and teaches them responsibility. And, And it also... You know, it also teaches them about death, Paul, a, a tough lesson. But, you know, for us Christians that, you know, we believe in, you know, the afterlife and things like that, you know, I, the fear of death, there's a lot of good things about it, but it, you, you have a best friend for about 10 or 12 or 15 years and hopefully, and that's a great thing.
1: Getting back. It gives them the opportunity to raise, you know, it's almost like raising a child. Exactly. And and I, I think that that, to be able to have that, it makes you let's say a little bit less narcissistic when you have somebody else to care for it's not all about you all the time. It's not the spoiled child where the world revolves around them and then they get older and they're just being supported by their parents all the time and never want to have children. I think that having that dog changes you. It's a, it absolutely does. So we don't want I don't want to take us off from the conversation. So No,
0: that's okay. I think everybody everybody like that and, and most of our listeners have dogs. Want to talk about the you know the big government, right? So the Department of Homeland Security which never should have been established and and didn't really make us safer and you know has created a huge drain a, a greater drain on our massive bureaucracy of the federal government. Now it has disinformation governance board which could expand. I I am hopeful. That, you know, and you saw people like Daryl Issa and Lauren Boebert, two Congress people saying, no, hell no, we're going to defund this thing. If the Republicans win Congress, they could suffocate this from a funding standpoint. It is being ridiculed, but it still exists. And as we saw on Tucker Carlson Thursday night, the woman in charge
1: of this Ministry of Truth. Is her name Josephine Goebbels? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> she sounds like it when I hear her. <laughs> that should be her new online. That should. I think we should create a hashtag for that.
0: Yeah, I think that's going to be one of our, our new Twitter uh, threads. Her name is Nina Jankowicz, um, and she calls herself a disinformation fellow and an expert on Russian disinformation, which is, of course, the way they would go. Now, if you if you are a sentient uh, human being who kind of tracks the news and you listen to this show, you probably saw the video that Tucker Carlson aired on Thursday night, which introduced us all to, to this woman, which was her singing Mary Poppins with some sort of, you know, that voice, I can't get it out of my head, unfortunately, where she basically says that, you know, disinformation is a really prevalent thing. And she mentions Rudy Giuliani and she mentions TikTok influencers who said that
1: COVID wasn't that bad. Well, I got to say, when I heard her singing, I said, she, watch, she should, just needs to stick to her day job. But now knowing what her day job is, I don't know. Yeah.
0: Well, it's, fu- it's ironic that she brings up TikTok influencers because this is the administration that invited TikTok influencers into the White House to, and to tell them, to go parrot these talking points about how great the Biden economy is. And I mean, so they're the ones that brought in the TikTok influencers to spread actually disinformation about the economy. And here she is, you know, singing to us. This, this video of her singing was obviously taken during the Trump administration. But that's what I want to get into. So uh, Tucker showed us who this little harpy is. But back when Trump was president back in May of twenty twenty, so exactly two years ago, she was interviewed in a panel discussion about disinformation. I wanna play this clip for our for our listeners. This is Nina Jankowitz talking about disinformation. And I d just listen to this. Imagine that, you know, with
1: President Trump right now calling all of these news organizations that have uh, inconvenient for him stories that, they, that they're that they getting out there that he's calling fake news and now lashing out at platforms. I would never want to see our executive branch have that sort of power. Um, and that's why, you know, the legislative process with our duly elected uh, officials is really important, that sort of consultative rulemaking process. Um, and we can't just govern by executive order anymore. I think I'll leave it there.
0: The hypocrisy is strong with this one, Paul, and just like we've seen throughout the Biden administration and really the Obama administration as well, they say, look at this. I mean, I guess the main question I would have for any leftist defending this thing right now is, and we would never get an honest answer, imagine if Donald Trump had established a disinformation governance board. What would they be saying now? Well,
1: what's crazy about this comment that we played is that she's literally— arguing against in that clip, the exact thing that she is now arguing for. I mean, she's saying that the executive branch should have no role in determining what is information and what's misinformation and what's disinformation. And now she's doing the exact same thing. I mean, can you believe that? I mean, she tweeted during the Trump administration, IC has a high degree of confidence that the Kremlin used proxies to push influence narratives, including misleading or unsubstantiated claims about President Biden, to US media officials and influencers, some close to President Trump, a clear nod to the alleged Hunter laptop, which she then calls a fairy tale on Twitter.
0: She also then called later on called the Trump the Hunter Biden laptop story, which by the way, reported by the New York Post, the paper of record. Uh, back in 2020, and only in 2022 do you now have New York Times and Washington Post admitting that that story was valid. But she, she also then said that the whole thing was a, quote,
1: Trump campaign product. Speaking of the New York Times, the recent, I mean, speaking of disinformation and how all of this is coming together the way the left wants it, they had a recent headline saying, GDP report shows the U.S. economy shrank Masking a broader recovery. I mean, is that double speak? It is double speak. And she, I mean, and I'm sure that that Ms. Jankowitz is saying that is we are so happy that the New York Times published that headline. That is exactly the type of correct and accurate information that and, and the DHS applauds the New York Times for that. It's what we've been saying for a long
0: time, but now you're giving legitimacy to it and you're giving somebody a I think she's what you would call in the U S government senior executive service. So a very high ranking official with an official portrait. You know, this one is an official portrait of somebody who still has acne. She's young enough to, um, she looks like almost like a teenager in the photo and the way she talks, but you're giving somebody an immense amount.
1: We don't know how old she is though, because you know, now with the kids not growing, no, she's clearly in her forties, Paul, but I'm just saying, but kids not growing up these days, you know, she's, She's catering to the twenty-five-year-old white woman demographic.
0: But she's she's in her forties. She's probably you know she's obviously into uh, Mary Poppins, but she probably also likes,
1: you know, Harry Potter and all these other things. But you give this child. She loves speeches in the Colosseum in the nineteen thirties. Sure, she <laughs> yeah, watches yeah. those as well.
0: You give this this little fascist harpy uh, a lot of power and and maybe a board full of her. By the way, l- later on in that clip, and I didn't want to waste everybody's time by playing it. She
1: goes, oh, by the way, um, my, my fellowship is paid for by Facebook. Which just to make clear for everybody, she was a disinformation fellow at the Woodrow Wilson School for Policy, which uh, we all know Woodrow Wilson was the most progressive president in American history.
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe until now.
1: Yeah. And the disinformation fellow, that's not even like a serious role. I mean, that sounds like something that she lobbied to have created. As a name, and then uh, was able to make that happen. So, so it's a, a fellowship in propaganda at the Woodrow Wilson School.
0: Yeah, I'd love to know more about her background. And so now I'm, I'm going to look. And I'm the, the problem is, is that you know, Wikipedia is now controlled by the. She's she's labeled an American author,
1: but here's her education: Bryn Mawr. She has a master's from Georgetown. Oh, here we go, Bryn Mawr. Do we even know what her major was? Was it? Did it happen to be gender studies or? Ethnic studies. She got a
0: master's in Russian, Eurasian, and East Asian European studies from Georgetown. Who knows from, from Bryn Mawr? Oh, actually, she, made, she double majored in Russian and political science.
1: Okay, well, I think we know if you're getting a political science degree from Bryn Mawr, we know what you're being taught.
0: She has been a contributor to The Washington Post and New York Times and has written two books, How to Lose the Information War, and get this one, How to Be a
1: Woman Online. I don't even know what I don't even know what to say about that. She has interest in musical theater. Okay, well that's the Mary Poppins. Maybe she's going to use. Is, do you think she'll do a song at every board meeting? Like she'll open it with a a broad a different Broadway tune. <laughs> Wikipedia:
0: 1988 or 1989 is her date of birth. So she's either 32 or 33. So I, I was a little off there, but she's clearly very young to be running a government department. And uh, yeah, so that's the new thing. Every time she censors somebody or throws somebody in prison for wrong think, there's going to be a musical number from Cats or Wicked or something like that, right?
1: Well, and it's the musical number, but the words will be changed to have some sort of propaganda. Like she'll add white nationalism into the Phantom of the Opera or something like that. Exactly.
0: So in her little rant that she did on that Tucker Carlson revealed. She talked about Rudy Giuliani and Ukraine, and also TikTok influencers saying
1: how "quote unquote" COVID cannot cause pain. Maybe she does the Phantom of the Opera number, where the Phantom is Ron DeSantis. Wouldn't that? My God. Well,
0: of course. I mean, that's the that's the next target. But this woman is really the ministry itself. The the DGB or the, 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 no, we're
1: calling it the ministry. It is the ministry.
0: The ministry is a real problem. It must be killed before it gets off the ground. What do we do about this, Paul?
1: Well, there's a couple things. I think uh, number one, uh, I think every independent news media needs to completely gang up on this ministry. We're starting to see it in Fox. I think all of the, you know, you see Glenn Greenwald, Matt Taibbi, uh, all of these folks getting on board. So the pub, the pushback among the public needs to be strong and severe all the way until the election to keep the pressure on. Number two, the Republican members of Congress right now, and I think the traditional Republicans, and right now it's, I, I appreciate Lauren Boebert and others trying to push this, but we need to be hearing from Mitch McConnell yeah. and some of the leaders on this, because that's, I You know, Ron Johnson sent a really good letter, I believe, to, to Secretary Mayorkas. So it's nice that he's on board. But we have to hear from the Senate. I, the fact that you have, like, the Lauren Boberts of the world and Marjorie Taylor Greene. Now, Daryl Issa. Yeah, Daryl Issa. But speaking out against this, that doesn't do us. No. And this is the, you know, a lot of our listeners, you know, they say, oh, these
0: darn rhinos, you know, well, they do have a little bit of credibility in some ways more than, your Madison Cawthorn and your your Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world.
1: Hey, don't mess with Madison. We like I like Madison and all of his scandals. Uh, <laughs>
0: what, what what is it today? There was a new one this week. I can. They really.
1: He like apparently grabbed some guy by the crotch or something. I, this is like a drip drip. Look, there. The primary in North Carolina is on uh, May seventeenth, so the the people are just going to be dripping these things out against him all the way until then. They're doing anything they can to.
0: By the way, we, we heard again from Maverick DDS, uh, one of our listeners in South Dakota, I think. Is that a dentist? Sounds like a dentist. I guess. He, he, wrote, he wrote in, Cawthorn must be doing something right with this, this drip, drip of, of uh, attacks on him and, and things that they found. He must be doing something right because they clearly feel threatened by him. But the point is... Yeah, it can't just be the extreme right calling this out. It has to be every Republican in Congress. It has to be Democrats in Congress. And th- I think here's what we do, Paul, is that we all write letters to our congressmen and also all of the corporate-owned news outlets. We also have to write letters to the editors and and, and people there, too, because here's the thing. If a news organization is not right now shouting from the rooftops about not shouting the alarm like the midnight ride is right now, they could go out of business. I mean, if, if you elected Donald Trump or you elect, you know, somebody even in their mind worse than Donald Trump, they're going to go after them next. Nobody is safe if the government controls and, and is, is the arbiter of what is good thought and not.
1: Well, the goal of this board, I think at this point, is to prevent any conservatives or anybody that adheres to the Constitution from getting elected ever again. I mean, they're doing this right after Elon Musk bought Twitter. So the fear is palpable. So I can't wait for the board to start calling Twitter as a haven for disinformation and encouraging a startup of a liberal alternative. So that's, that's number one that I, I see happening. And number two, I see the disinformation governance board calling out any Member of the media that's going to give any type of platform to a non-democratic candidate. So somebody from another party between now and the election. It's all hands on deck to try to prevent this red wave that's coming.
0: You hit the nail on the head, so they're going to they're going to do that. They're also maybe going to try to censor or discredit certain speech. It's all I think it's it's largely about the election, but it's really about Elon Musk. Once again, as we said a couple weeks ago on Midnight Ride, this guy's a superhero. He and people like Ron DeSantis are exposing the real evil in our society, the people who are for indoctrinating and grooming your kids, the people who are against probably the biggest tenet of our Constitution and our free society is freedom of speech. And they are against that, and they're terrified that if they don't control the public square. If they don't control what everybody is allowed to think and say, that they will never win. That they will lose hold on power. It's not Joe
1: Biden. Joe Biden
0: is just a puppet. He's just a useful idiot to them.
1: Well, I mean, yeah. Joe Biden has dementia. He like shakes hands with people that don't exist. Look at the press conference this
0: week. I mean, Joe Biden is has lost it. So, but the people who control him, the elites who control him, they're terrified that you might hear things that maybe threaten their grip on power. So we we got to write letters. We got to make calls and, and let every member of Congress and also every corporate-owned news organization know that we expect them to defend free speech. And oh, by the way, any media organization that is saying that Elon Musk is a threat, should be, sh- we, we shouldn't give them our money anymore.
1: Exactly, exactly. And this is not just expanding into the United States, and this is going to sort of entree us into our next topic but uh there was a 33 billion dollar aid package uh, on ukraine that was passed this week and within that there was money to quote support independent media because in the uh words of independent journalist and media commentator michael tracy uh, nothing screams independent like being directly funded by the u.s government as part of its information warfare initiative
0: now i will say that we've practiced propaganda ourselves and, our, and the military has an arm of it that does what we would call psychological operations, or, or you know, psyop, or propaganda. I mean, that's that's part of war. And even though we're not, we don't have troops in contact, we, we're not fighting with our planes and ships and and soldiers. We are in a war right now with Russia, and information is a key part of it. Russia's very good at it, and so, I mean, that's part of it. Paul but but you're absolutely right. We we've been engaged in propaganda for a very long time. If you look up the name Daniel Bernays, I mean this is, you know, our government has been engaged in information warfare
1: to to further our interests overseas. Information warfare and propaganda is always used to influence foreign populations. The problem with yeah, the problem with the Department of Homeland Security is that it's being turned inward and you know, this is the fear when the DHS was initially formed. Before DHS was formed, law enforcement was a local and state responsibility. It was never something that the federal government was never envisioned to have any kind of federal policing power, except uh, at the borders to, as far as uh, Border Patrol customs, that was all part of, uh, I can't remember, a lot of it was part of Department of Transportation. I don't remember where it all came from. But then the as well as, you know, any sort of violation of federal law. But now DHS is really starting to get itself into local issues and state. And with this information, it's it, this, uh, this information governance board. So we're, we're just seeing expanded use of federal policing power year after year. And I think the minute the propaganda machine starts to get turned on the U.S. population is when the Constitutional Republic effectively dies.
0: And that is why this is yet another hill we have to die on. We got to go to our next segment. I just want to close with this and get your thoughts. The Department of Homeland Security, which is led by an absolute Cretan, I think his name is Alexander Mayorkas, um, who has been called to the carpet many times by Republicans in Congress for the Civ that is our southern border. This guy actually thinks and has testified, I think as recently as this week, that the southern border is secure. Okay. So we have waves, half or more of federal crimes are committed by aliens to the United States, many of them, most of them illegal aliens, okay, who have come across our southern border quite easily because by design, the federal government is not enforcing our immigration laws. And now, this guy, Mayorkas, has stood up this disinformation government board.
1: He's a, dis- he's a disinformation propagandist himself. I mean, anybody saying the border is secure? I mean, where? how can—I mean, I guess they're purposely letting 18,000 people in. So maybe that's their version of security, right?
0: Well, it is. So this guy should be impeached. But these people have badges, they have guns, and they can throw you in prison— and it looks like we are headed toward it in America, unless we all do something about it, th- that, you know, we can go to prison
1: for for saying the wrong things. We are on the, I mean, folks here, the Midnight Ride is your home for misinformation, disinformation, uh, conspiracy theories, otherwise known <laughs> as the truth. Otherwise if, known as the if,
0: truth. If orcas is saying it, if this minister of truth is saying it, if the associated press or snopes or any of these fact fact checkers are checking it then you know it is demonstrably true that is your evidence got to got to go to our next segment and by the way we've run long so we're only going to have two segments today but when we come back an update on the war in Ukraine it's it's getting bad folks and it's getting so bad that we we kind of have to ask the a question what is america's strategy in all of this we'll examine that when we come back on the midnight ride
1: Welcome back to the Midnight Ride. Once again, your home for disinformation, misinformation, and propaganda, otherwise known as the truth. <laughs> That's be our new segment now, we're going to say this. <laughs> our new, our new, uh, our new tagline going forward that you're going to hear quite a bit of. Here, here's a little bit of information. we are kicking off the, the segment, go ahead. So our next disinformation segment is about the about Ukraine. So this week, a $33 billion aid package was announced to Ukraine, which is actually 33% of the entire annual GDP of Ukraine uh, of $150 billion in in one package, which I think seeing that level of money shows you that this war is not necessarily about Ukraine. At the same time, uh, I saw something that's saying, Russia has nearly doubled their revenues from selling fossil fuels to the EU during the 2 months of the war. They imported 44 billion dollars over the past 2 months compared with about 12 billion dollars a month before the the crisis started. So, to give you an idea, while we're printing money and destroying our own currency to help Ukraine, Russia is laughing all the way to the bank and having no problem funding their war because they're sending endless amounts of oil and gas to the European Union.
0: Yeah. So just to recap, the West is funding this genocide or this, this, this massive slaughter of civilians in Ukraine. The West is doing that. We have our hands, there's blood on our hands because up until about a month ago, 7% of our oil purchases were coming from Russia. And oh, by the way, we are still sitting at a negotiating table in Vienna or somewhere with with the Russians to try to, you know, get this Iran deal through. But never fear because there is good news, Paul. And I want, you know, first of all, yesterday at the Vatican, the pope in his noontime prayer prayer, appealed for safe evacuation of Ukrainians. Okay, so we've got that. Angelina Jolie was in Lviv meeting with displaced children so she might be adopting some of the uh, now orphans' children of Ukraine, and and here's the kicker.
1: Hey, always great to get Hollywood and on the propaganda, right?
0: Yes, and here here's the kicker. Yesterday, and I think this is really going to be good. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, was in Kiev meeting with Zelensky, and she led a small congressional delegation with a, a great show of support, and she had, you know, some photo ops. And- Did she bring
1: her ice cream with her as a gift? <laughs> well, it could be, it would come in very handy. Yeah, let them eat uh, Rocky Road. Exactly. While the Ukrainian people are dying, let them eat Rocky Road.
0: Speaker Pelosi said, your fight is a fight for everyone, and so our commitment is to be there for you until the fight is done, or, you know, we're there until your last soldier sort of thing.
1: So this whole thing, it, it got me thinking, right? First of all, we're even starting to see the left start to question this. I saw an article in Slate saying everyone, the headline is everyone is starting to admit something frightening about Ukraine. The conflict has become a proxy war between NATO and Russia with more risks for everyone involved. And they say it's risky. The wider the war spreads, the more Russia seems to be losing. The more compelled Vladimir Putin may feel to lash out with extreme violence. Didn't we talk about this like Two months ago, this exact same thing happening.
0: And you know why people are starting to notice, Paul? Because on Monday, you know, you've got Speaker Pelosi there yesterday. But but uh, a week ago, today, you had, I think you had the Secretary of State and Secretary of Defense. They were meeting with all of the NATO defense ministers, I guess. And they were quoted as saying, and and, and Putin seized on this, of course. They said, our goal is to see Russia weakened to the point where they can't do this anymore to any of their neighbors. And they also said, we think Ukraine can win. And that was right around the time that this 33 billion was passed. So they basically admitted that it's a proxy war. And so, of course, Russia seized on that. Never mind the fact that Russia started this whole thing. Russia invaded the country, but they're not afraid to come out and say it now. You know, we are here for this proxy war and we think that, you know, we want to see Russia weaken. You don't think that backs... Putin into a corner. The very next day, he had his secretary of state or foreign minister out there saying the risk of nuclear war cannot be thrown out. So, yeah, a lot of people on the left and the right are starting to
1: get concerned. Completely. And you have to think about why is this happening? I start to see, you know, we've been talking and I always wondered why this is happening. Literally every move that is made in Ukraine by us, we talk about, right? Like historically, in Afghanistan in like the 80s or in Nicaragua with the Sandinistas, it's not like we're making some big announcement saying, hey, we just, uh, you know, helped the Sandinistas blow up a weapons depot, or uh, we just had Mullah Omar and the Taliban shoot down a Russian helicopter in a, with, a, with a stinger. You know, now we're we're talking about everything. I mean, if you're really serious about trying to end this and 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 not give the russians talking points and not escalate this wouldn't you just not talk about it and be covert i mean it seems like we're almost goading putin and and having him be able to tell his own people you know everything we're doing to to hurt russia you know it's it's a really strange strange thing you know in fact there was like a uh, piece on uh, nbc news saying U.S. intel helped Ukraine protect air defenses, shoot down Russian plane carrying hundreds of troops. Well, I
0: I think that is, I I don't know exactly. I, I read that story. It sounded like the intel that we shared was basically, and by the way, when you share intelligence, you know, the Biden administration has masterfully done this throughout. They announced, you know, about the Russian false flag that was planned. and They preempted that. They basically stated, you know, the invasion is going to happen. It's going to happen around this date. So they've they've done a good job of, to use a term that has become sort of in vogue these days, they've done a good job of pre-bunking what the Russians were going to say or do. Um, but when you do that, you put our intelligence you know, our spies in the field or, you know, you risk uh, revealing how you got that information. And apparently to the United States, it was worth the risk to do that. And and they've been successful. I mean, let's be honest, we've been successful in doing that. You have to give the administration credit.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say on the battlefield, things have been successful, but things are escalating and escalating and escalating. And we're still a part of that. I mean, I, w- I was always a fan of the Teddy Roosevelt School of Speak Softly, and carry a big stick. And right now we're carrying the big stick, but we're not speaking softly and you know, I I don't think that that's
0: helping. Well, are we carrying the big stick? Yeah, you know, are we?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know, but it's not the thing is all this talking and the, maybe creating this stalemate, but I don't I don't think it's going to end the conflict and as I've said for many months, the goal I think should be to deescalate and get this conflict over and you know give putin some way to to save face and we're refusing to do any of it and things are getting worse and there's there's still 6,000 nuclear weapons that putin has
0: there has clearly been a shift in the in the messaging coming out of the white house the pentagon foggy bottom you know when it started out it was you know yeah we've got ukraine's back but we're not going to send any troops we will defend every inch of nato territory but you know ukraine you're kind of on your own and now it's our goal as a country is to see Russia weaken. Let's not forget our president said that guy sh-, you know, shouldn't be allowed to be in office. So you have a guy that is clearly, and I'm talking about Vladimir Putin, who is unhinged, he is not well physically or mentally. He has thousands of nuclear weapons aimed at American cities. And yeah, you're poking the bear out in the open. I, I, now, I don't know, let me ask you this because you brought up some interesting historical examples when we defended the Contras and we tried to stop the Sandinistas or we tried to, frankly, assassinate uh, Fidel Castro, you know, we, we did a lot to fund the Mujahideen in Afghanistan and we did defeat, ultimately, the Russians in that conflict. Where we spent, I mean, $33 billion, and that's only the latest amount, right? That's a lot of money. I think it's been over 60 so far. Yeah, so over $60 billion dollars. Um, that's a lot of money. I don't. I think that scale might be bigger
1: than what we did in Central America. Uh, of course, the Russian. Well, as we said, the entire GDP of Ukraine is 150 billion dollars. So we're literally half of you, all of Ukraine's economic output. We're helping support them. That doesn't make any sense if you're just trying to like help one country.
0: You can't do something on that scale, and, and there's plane loads that are of supplies that are coming from airbases in the United States but also the UK and others the UK has been much more not just in terms of the material support but also in terms of their rhetoric about just in general that they have been a lot more aggressive than the US Boris Johnson has his own political issues that he's dealing with over there but you know also the Brit- you know the British want to be seen post Brexit as a leader you know bigger than the EU but You can't give $33 billion. I mean, American factories are churning out missiles now. And we've given up a a percentage of our own missiles to the Ukraine. Remember, these missiles exist for a reason, and that's to defend our own troops. But we're giving a lot of them. You kind of can't do that
1: silently, or can you? You know, I don't know. I mean, I I think there's ways to, you know, I think people are going to know we're supporting it, but it's more about like the quotes. We don't want to give Putin the fodder, you know, when we start... When we start announcing everything, because all he does is explain that to his public, and he gets his public completely ginned up against the United States. It's not like the Russian people are secretly against are secretly against Putin. He's very popular, and they watch. You know, his people there get fed propaganda just like people here watching MSNBC. So they completely believe it, and we're sort of giving him the tools to be able to continue to brainwash his own population and the more he has public support for his military operation and all that oil revenue coming in it's just going to go on forever
0: i think you make an excellent point i mean we probably could have done a lot of this support and yeah people would have known about it in in the towns where the you know lockheed martin plants are churning out missiles or whatever you know, there might have been some talk on Capitol Hill or whatever, but when you go up to the the podium at the White House in the press briefing room uh, and you say things like "Yeah, yeah, we want," or or you you go out in front of a media cadre in in Germany with all of the other countries in the free world and you say our goal is to see Russia weakened, you are feeding into Putin's narrative. And you know, the one thing that he's kind of got going for him is that. They don't trust Germany, they don't trust France or the United States, and so these people who, quite frankly, have lost a lot of you know their Russian children, and their lives have gotten a lot tougher because of the economic destruction that that Putin's war has caused them, you know that that scenario of Lindsey Graham, you know we'd let, just like to see somebody take him out. That's not impossible. That could happen, but not if we keep feeding what Putin's saying, we keep validating it. See, they want to weaken us. They want to take us out. I think, I think you bring up a great point there.
1: Exactly. It's the kind of thing where let's say you did take him out after all that language. It's like America took him out and then who replaces him? It could be somebody even worse. (laughs) So you don't, I mean, right now it's, this is not, we don't have this like secret support of the Russian people. The Russian people are on the side of the Russian government. And that's what makes this scary. Well here's what's at stake and I know our shows run a little bit long but I think America
0: is looking at this and 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 really all of not just NATO and the EU but all of the countries that align with our way of looking at things. And our way of looking at things is, you know, the the post World War II international order which includes things like the World Trade Organization and, you know,
1: the International Monetary Fund, yeah, World Bank.
0: And and all of these rules that say, you know, you can't just go bully people and and take over their countries. You know, so all of these countries are saying, hey, Russia doing this on this scale with China, you know, threatening Taiwan and China and Russia, basically, back in February, releasing a joint statement saying there is a new world order coming, right? They definitely want to see Russia punished. They want to see them weakened to the point where they don't do this again. But they also want China to say, "Okay, maybe we shouldn't do this. So there's a lot at stake here, right? And there's a lot at stake on both sides. And that's why this is kind of dangerous is Russia, they can't just withdraw. He's staked everything on this. We, we have to kind of, I think, tell me what you think about this. I think we kind of got to give him a victory or...
1: Ah, uh, disinformation board, you're a Putin stooge. I just heard we're going to take it out of context. You want a Putin victory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i don't want to i mean i want him to lose but if we if he can't just Joe just just kidding just kidding don't- <laughs> no I know I know but the,
0: this is playing out on multiple levels right I mean yeah the, you've got the information battle even in our own country
1: no you're right you're right it's maybe it's it's maybe not calling it a victory but it's there's a face saving exactly a facing a, a face-saving measure where Putin can sell to his own people that we had success in our special military operation, and Ukraine's not going to join NATO, and now it's time to de-escalate. That would be the best solution, and we're doing the opposite.
0: A commitment by Zelensky to not join NATO. The problem is the Ukrainians say, "Well, yeah, you you want to give him a, a face-saving victory, but w- you know which part of the United States, w- which piece of territory would you give? You know that the, these people." They are so incensed. They are fighting 10 times harder than the Russians because this, is, this has gotten personal. This has gotten, I mean, the atrocities committed. They're not going to cede one more inch of their territory. In fact, they want the Crimea back and all this stuff. So we can't sell pieces of Ukrainian land, but maybe it's just we promise not to join NATO and you know, you're not going to go to The Hague for war crimes. Yep. But then what happens after that, right? Because- Putin would, would have to be allowed to remain in power, and do they still keep a seat on the UN Security Council? China still gets one. But what does the world look like after this? The world has put its foot down and said, well, most of the world, I mean, the, you still have countries like India, Brazil, Mexico, others that are not condemning the Russians. But does Russia still have that much power on the Security Council, and other after doing something like this,
1: I know it's a lot of it is going to be you know their oil and they have so much oil they have more than anybody and they have these nuclear weapons. It's almost like what good is the UN if Russia's not on the Security Council? The whole job of the UN was to I'll have these nations speak to each other and prevent conflict. And if you kick Russia off the Security Council, then what it that becomes like? Kicking Elon, or kicking Donald Trump off Twitter, right? It's like just you. Then it's just a whole bunch of people agreeing with each other. So I don't know what the answer is. We're running. We're way over. We're way over on time, and this is not going to be the last time that the Midnight Ride talks about this topic. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. So we will
0: close by saying. So just to wrap that segment up, we we need to think very hard about what our government is is saying and doing over there. We all. Uh, me, you, all of our listeners, our president, our Congress, we're all behind Ukraine. And we wish them today, tomorrow, and you know, we, we wish them all the best success on the battlefield. But we do not want to back this guy into a corner where he uses nuclear weapons against our Ukrainian friends or against NATO in the United States, because Armageddon could result. Pray for our troops, pray for our president, pray for the world and world peace but I think we're at about 192 days or something until the midterms. Folks, we, we got to stay on the ball here. And uh, as far as this, I'll, I'll, Paul, close, and
1: then I'll give you my f- closing thoughts. What are, you, what are your final thoughts here? Well, my final thoughts are I just hope that we're here next week and DHS hasn't taken us down and we've been disappeared after this episode. So we'll hope, hope. So I'm going to say instead of saying see you next week, I'm going to say hopefully see you next week.
0: Yeah, hopefully see you next week. The Ministry of, of Truth is on the case. Folks, write your congressmen, write your representatives, and uh, to let the, the corporate-owned media understand that if they don't come out in condemnation of this, that you're no longer going to watch or or read their products. And finally, please tell a friend about the Midnight Ride. Give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to us. And tell a friend if you support our mission of of getting disinformation, misinformation, also known as the truth out there, please tell a friend. We really appreciate you listening. And we cannot wait until next week for the next edition of The Midnight Ride with Paul Runyon and Connor Coughlin. For Paul, I'm Connor. We'll see you next week.